Three years ago, Alexis Alexander had a corporate advertising agency career. Then his second child was born with a physical ailment that kept the family in and out of Sick Kids Hospital. Alexis then changed up his life and started writing and self-publishing children's books based on his family called Friendly Fables. Since 2017, Alexis has written and self-published 14 books, released a children's rap album that went to number one on iTunes in November, and he now performs in schools two to four times a week. Nice to see you. Thank you for having me today, Richard. So what ignited your love of storytelling? From what I've been reading about you, since you were a kid, stories have been very important. Very important. I don't know where it came from, maybe the dinner table with my family, but I've always been a storyteller. I've always been telling stories. And uh, when I was in grade five, I had a favorite teacher by the name of Mrs. Hogan. And she told me after I wrote a a poem about a bumblebee and a murder mystery (laughs) called, (laughs) in grade five, I know this is a little strange, but I, I loved writing all these things and I was really into mystery stories. So I wrote this and she said to me, Lexi, one day you're going to be an author or a storyteller. And it was one of those things that just, it always stayed with me and, and, I thought one day maybe I'd love to be a storyteller or a writer because I found this great joy in it. And um, she had me performing in front of the school in grade five, a story about a three-toed sloth, about how he got his toes. <laughs> and then I, I, I found that I, I had always um, come back to the pen and the pad yeah. um, all throughout, you know, in high school. Um, we thought we were rappers, so we would rap songs in school. And then in university, I was writing poetry to woo my wife. Uh. And, um, and it was just always what was in front of me. So when I got out, I went to McMaster. And when I got out of school and went into business, I was watching a lot of movies. I was in my 20s. So I said, I'm going to be a screenplay writer. I'm going to write a screenplay. And, you know, never really did anything with what I was creating. But I felt that there was this hole inside of me if I couldn't write. Well, let, let's, let's, we'll, we'll get there uh, eventually here. I think from what I take away from what you've just told me though, is the importance of teachers and the, the encouragement that teachers can provide. I have a teacher, Mrs. Clements. Mrs. Clements. Uh, yeah. From about, uh, she was, uh, we, I grew up in a very small town. So I had her for a couple of years in grade seven and eight. What was the town? Uh, in Liverpool, Nova Scotia. Oh, wow. And so I had her for a couple of years and I remember writing a story that was way out of my league. It was like, I remember a character in Atlanta Turner, the film, the film actress who I don't think I had ever seen in a movie, but I had read about somewhere was a character and I'd written this long kind of thing and and she singled it out and and much the same as you said like you know how to tell a story this is shows imagination and it meant the world to me at mm-hmm. the time it, it, and it and it pushed me and made it seem like it was possible that maybe you know writing was something that you could actually do how old were you oh young uh, whatever grade seven and eight is you know yep. it's like so um 13 maybe or however old you are in that age i i think there's something to it it's almost you know you can hear it uh from your parents and you can hear it from friends but i think once you hear from a teacher uh, there's something there's something lasting there well you get rewarded for it there's a mark i got an a plus probably and 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 it felt like there was a a reward for the effort that i'd put in you know it didn't never got published obviously uh but it was that 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 kind of affirmation was very important and so writing, so you've stuck with writing and, and did you write screenplays? I, I, yes, I wrote a screenplay, never did anything with it. Right. And then I'm, I love science fiction and fantasy. If, right. if there's a science fiction fantasy book out there, I've probably read it. I just love 
diving into a story at night before I go to bed. And so I tried my hand at writing a science fiction novel. And it was an arduous task. Mm-hmm. It, it, to the length of it, it didn't fit with my personality. And, but I needed to do it. I needed to get it out. So I wrote this fantasy novel and I, I'd share it with friends. But again, I, I think I was scared in a way to put it out there and to have it judged and to, have, you know, because it's a creation. I think like yep. anything, you, you create something and you're worried in, the, in a way how it's going to be perceived. And then, yeah, I, I, something started though before my son was born and, and we went through um, the things with him at Sick Kids. My, I, my daughter was born in 2015, 2014, and something ignited in me there. And I felt it, and it, it, it was this feeling like every time we would go into her bedroom to read stories at night, it was like for me stepping into this imagination yeah, yeah. portal. I like warped into this. Now I could be this creative kid again, and I would make up voices, and I would sing songs. Uh, my favorite one that I like to tell is she had this uh, mobile above her crib, and it played Vivaldi's Four Seasons Spring. So I have various rap songs, Richard, for <laughs> Vivaldi's Four Seasons Spring that I would I would do for her. But she she ignited it in me. And then I was reading these books, and I, I don't know if I, I some some of these books that I was reading, I was getting frustrated in mm. because I found some books weren't for kids; they were for adults. And some book, or like the parent book, as yeah. opposed to the kid book that they want to go back to. And some books, they were just too long. And some books, I didn't like the message. I, I read them when I was a kid and the message seemed fine, but now the message seemed a bit skewed in our, how we perceive things in our society now. Right. And so I remember writing in the back of my workbook, I had this pause at work. I think somebody canceled a conference call <laughs> and in an advertising world. And I was sitting there and I wrote this little rhyming story in the back of my book. And I remember going home and reading it to my daughter and my wife, and she loved it. She sat there humming from side to side, and and that was the kind of the catalyst that I started to think maybe I would like to do this. So then it kind of paused. Everything paused there. Well, it's interesting when you you start working on a new project, you get inspired to work on a new project, um, and it's the 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 trickiest time mm-hmm. of anything because it can go either way you can you go in with all good intentions and you either fill that page or you don't yep and and that's that, that's the the key right there but i always think of a movie called patterson and i've told this story on the the show before but there's a movie called patterson adam driver check it out if you haven't seen it uh, i won't give away anything but he's a poet loses all his poetry, he's despondent. At the end of the movie, or near the end of the movie, he sits on a park bench, and this man comes down and talks to him, sits next to him. And it turns out he's a poet as well. And the guy said, oh, well, let me give you a, after a conversation, he says, let me give you a, a present. And he gives him a book, and it's a, just a book of blank pages. And he said, this is the greatest gift I can give you because every page is a possibility. And I love that so much. That's very, very, Every very page cool. is a possibility when you're starting a new project uh, and, and you can go wherever you want with it. Yeah. From the back pages of your workbook, which you were probably had advertising ideas at <laughs> yeah. the front of, yeah, yeah, and, and then your own personal stuff in the back. That's very, very cool. And I think that what, what sticks out to me there is that when I would get to a blank page, I would assume that I had to write it for somebody else to read it. Right. And I didn't know who that person was. And so I think I was lost. But as soon as I knew who was reading the page, I something changed because I knew I was writing it for my daughter. I knew what she liked and I knew. Right. So that, that kind of changed too. 
um, and, and certainly how I approached it. Now, when you were a kid, I grew up listening to, uh, my parents both worked, mm-hmm. like a lot of kids that I grew up with. I was kind of a latchkey kid. But in lieu of, of having stories read to me, I used to listen to records. And I remember Danny Kay had a record of, of fairy tales and things yeah. he listened to. Do you remember that yeah. at all? Yes, I do. I, Peter the Wolf. Peter the Wolf, yeah. Peter and the Wolf. I would let, my dad had a record player and... Uh, my sister would, would go to the teddy bears picnic and all the songs, and I would like the deep voices and the, the musical scores and the crescendos, and, yeah. and I could feel it, and I could see it, and I could feel the, the, the fear there. And do, That's really cool that you say that, because I still, my, my dad passed a few years ago, and I got his record player. And my now my kids are listening to the Teddy Bears Picnic and to well, I think that things are classics for a reason. You know those those stories uh, in my memory anyway uh, would work just as well today. I don't think kids have changed that much. No, I remember uh, when I was a kid, I got a book that my name was in it. Ah. And I remember how cool that was, and that was a big deal back then because it was there wasn't this digitization of the books right. and, and print on demand, so it was a really big deal, and it was a choose your own adventure. Oh wow! Yeah. And and that was amazing to me. So when I started writing the stories, I instantly wanted to incorporate my kids in some way because I knew, regardless of anyone else fell in love with them, uh, one day, I thought this is something that they could have that they're in this story they're in their own adventure so that's kind of how it started when so after Ella when my son Lachlan was born um that's is a funny story too Richard we almost my wife almost gave birth on the 407 um, <laughs> we left the house and she said pull over we were on our way to Mo- Markham Stouffville and I said I can't I don't we cannot have this baby yeah. on the 407 that's an expensive it's a great story but <laughs> <laughs> and so we we went in we we got there at 645 and um, he was born at 6.57. I didn't even have wow. time to, to pre-park the vehicle. Wow. Yeah. And so we literally almost, uh, she almost went into labor on the 407. Wow. And so when we, we got home that day and we, you know, now this is our second kid, everything's fine. Um, but we instantly started to have some problems. He was having problems feeding and he was crying and we thought it was colic. He was losing his birth weight. Um, after, you know, it goes down, but then it's supposed to go back up and he wasn't, that wasn't happening. So we went to our pediatrician and couldn't find anything, went to a lactation consultant and, uh, back to the pediatrician, back to the midwives and lactation. And then finally at about the one month mark, just before, um, a lactation consultant put a compressor in his mouth and found that he had a little hole in the roof of his mouth and something fairly innocuous. Mm -hmm. But it, his, his palate didn't close. So for him, it was super tough. He couldn't communicate to that. We didn't know. Of course, yeah. So he couldn't create suction and feed properly. And it was really scary for my wife and I because you have this little thing that you're responsible for. Yeah. And now all of a sudden we didn't know what was going on. So they sent us right away to Sick Kids, And we got in there. And if, if anyone doesn't or hasn't had to experience it, Sick Kids is the best place on earth. They're a family there. And they walked in and they said, everything's going to be okay. Here's a special bottle that helps shoot it into his mouth so he doesn't have to create the suction. Right. And you're going to have to come back um, and he's going to need surgery. 
um, to correct it and everything's fine. Actually, the toughest part was after the surgery, if you can imagine, he had to have these little splints on his arms for two months so he wouldn't put his hands in his mouth. Of course, yeah, because he doesn't know what's going on. No, he's just this little tyke and, 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 you know, having gone through having a little girl who would sit patiently Mm -hmm. um, and and my daughter was great at puzzling and and coloring, my son, on the other hand, was the Tasmanian devil and just wanted to move. So we st- we started out this journey and, and there was lots of trips to the hospital and... And Sick Kids really is a remarkable place. Remarkable. Uh, uh, we, the fact that we have that is is unbelievable. I don't think anyone really realizes Yeah, that. we help raise money for them and, and it is inspiring and heartbreaking for me to go there. Uh, I've met uh, these young people, some just old enough to walk, some, you know, pre-teens, and every time they have a very involved procedure, they get a bead mm-hmm. and, and that goes on a necklace. And you'll see these kids that are coming down to see us while we're down doing this telethon that we do. And they'll have chains of beads around their neck because they've been through so much. But because the atmosphere there is so welcoming and the atmosphere there treats them not like sick kids, but like kids, uh, they're in generally speaking, good spirits. They, they, it, it really is a remarkable place. I think I say my son kind of started it, but I really think sick kids started this, what I'm doing now in a way, because I got that same sense when I was there. Um, I don't know how to properly articulate this, but for us, it was a big deal, the surgery mm-hmm. and the palate repair. But as you said, I saw kids there that had so much more that they had to deal with and parents with so much more than they had to deal with. And in a way, I was I was ecstatic that Lockie was feeling better, but I was almost felt guilty in a way that he we are now leaving this place, and I I saw that there was a lot of kids there that could use a smile, right. so I think that planted in my head. And then when we realized we were doing lots of trips back and forth, I went to my business partners in in the advertising business, Iconic Group, and I said, you know, I really want to be with the family, and we're going to do the surgery and. We, I'm lucky I was working with my friends at the time, two of my friends from McMaster, um, and they said, yeah, let's figure out a way to make this happen. And so I, I left and I didn't really didn't know what I was going to do. I just knew that I was going to be at home with him and I would get back to, in my mind, it was a sabbatical. I was going to get back to the corporate world. And then something happened when I was off. I, this that little spark that my daughter ignited it grew and it grew and it grew and it just I felt this eruption and every day we had this routine where we would wake up and you know we'd have breakfast together and we'd get my daughter off to she was at the time we had her in preschool she'd get ready for junior kindergarten and then I'd spend some time with my son and my wife because she was on maternity leave and then they would go off and do an activity usually at a mom mommy group or something and I would go down to the lake. I went down to my dad's tree where he passed, or not passed, but where we had this memorial farm. And I would, I would try and exercise on the way down there. And then I would write a story about something that we did the day before going to the zoo, going, you know, playing at the, the, the lake or on the beach or something. And I found this great joy. It was different than writing a screenplay or a novel because I could finish a short story or a short poem, like my friendly fables are. And I knew they needed to rhyme because those are the ones that my kids really gravitated right. to. So one of the stories that I did after this, this, I started doing this was this heroic hospital quest. 
And I wrote the story of my son going to Sitkins. And I tried to do it from his perspective, where the buildings are huge and the underground parking looks like a maze. And instead of his, his ailment being something physical, it was a, it was a monster almost. Right. It was a, dino, a dragon that he had to slay and conquer. And I wrote it, and my sister, who's a very prolific writer herself, she read it and she said, you know, I think this would help other kids going through this. And at the same time, my wife was saying how much the kids loved it. So I, I joke around and I call it the American Idol effect, <laughs> where your par- your your family thinks you're cool, and right. <laughs> and then you go in and and Simon Cowell says, "Did no one tell you you couldn't <laughs> sing?" Right. So I needed to kind of test these. So. My son, my daughter was at this daycare helping hands and the owner of the daycare was nice enough to let me come in and and start reading some stories. So I tested it out and I was like, okay, so I'm going to do this. My wife said, you should do this. My wife, my sister, my, my family was all on board. So I went out and I set out to find an illustrator. And my first one I found was a local one and I realized I wasn't going to get it in time and things weren't professional. So I went on a site called freelance.com. And I started interviewing illustrators from all around the world, uh, Sri Lanka, Philippines, South Africa. And I landed on two people. Um, one was a, um, a uh, Chinese expat living in Canada. Her name's Wei Lu. And I found another gentleman by the name of Gulliver Vinay in, in Brazil. And all I had to do was translate it to Portuguese and I could get these lovely pictures <laughs> yeah, for a yeah. lot cheaper than I could because I was doing it myself. So then I got some of the stories prepared and I, I dug and dug from my previous world in the business world to find a, um, somebody who could help me edit and, and an independent um, person that could oversee this. And I found a printer. You're now like halfway there. You've yeah. got the stories and you've got the illustrations. What happens next? I convinced my wife to let me print a bunch of them. <laughs> um, Self-publishing is expensive. It is expensive. Yeah. It is expensive. So I had to kind of invest in myself. So once I found out that the stories... You know, kids were enjoying them at these daycares. I, I printed them. And then I did two things. I sent a really nice letter to Robert Munch, <laughs> who's my idol. Um, and, you know. And Robert Munch, for people that don't know, is is he's the, uh, what Martin Scorsese is to gangster films, <laughs> he is to children's literature. He is. He is. He, I, I like to say, and I hope, I hope uh, Mr. Munch would agree with me that he's never grown up fully. Yeah. Um, and he has a wonderful imagination and his stories stayed with me. And I, I, the way that he told them, his passion towards them, his uh, use of silliness and onomatopoeias. So I wrote, a st- I wrote a bunch of stories and I sent him. And one of the ones I sent him was the heroic hospital quest. And when I did that, I didn't think I was going to hear anything back. And at this time, I also reached out to the Sick Kids Foundation. And I said, I wrote, wrote this book. My son was a patient there. I'd like to give a dollar back from each of the books sold when I sell them in stores. And can I come and read for the kids? Mm-hmm. So they didn't hear back for, for quite a while from both these things. And then finally, I got a message from Robert Munch's uh, secretary. And she said, uh, Mr. Munch, Bob has read your book, yeah. your books, and um, he wanted me to pass on this. And it said, keep going. Don't give up. It was a long road for me. I, I sent out a bunch of things, you know, don't, don't let anyone stop you if this right. is what you want to do, basically. And he gave me a testimonial for the hospital quest. Wow. And I got to put it on the front cover. And it was very short and sweet. It says, wonderful story. But that strengthened my resolve. That for me was like, okay. If, if 
Mr. Munch says go, I'm going to go. So then the Sick Kids Foundation was amazing. They said, why don't you come in? We can let you come in once a month. And we have a TV show like Pee Wee's Playhouse that's live broadcast to all of the kids in their hospital wow. rooms. And it's, it's a video feed from the library. And there's going to be a therapeutic clown with you. And they vetted all the material to make sure it coincided with, with their, um, the messages that they were trying to send. And uh, I, I met these amazing therapeutic clowns, and we had this TV show where people, the kids would call in and say the magic word, and we were <laughs> dancing and singing. And I think I had always cared about how I was perceived in, in, you know, in, a ca- in front of a camera or in front of people. And at this point... I just let it all go. For me, it was that feeling that you had that these kids, some of them have been in here for their entire life. Um, some of these parents going through so much. Mm-hmm. If I can make them smile, if I can make them laugh, and I knew I could do that, I felt that I could bring that to them. So for me, that was a huge experience. And Sick Kids, thank you for letting me come in and do that because then now I had these books in hand. So now I, I had printed out um, six of them. And I started going around to schools, um, and and I made this my my raison d'être. I yeah. wanted this. This was my reason for being. And I felt this incredible feeling when I'd read the books at schools. But when I was in there, some of the kids, it didn't mesh with them because I think you know when I was younger, two or three, um, like myself, were very active, not necessarily paying attention. Now it's six or seven. So there was a little gap in my story. I was this this very imaginative storyteller like like Mr. Munch, um, but not everybody was paying attention. Um, and I could bring them in for certain stories, but then it would it would there was this like ebb and flow. And I'm coming from corporate Canada. I need yeah. everybody at the boardroom looking at me, <laughs> or else I know I got to wrap it up right? right. And I wasn't ready yet. So when I went to um, a school, there was a really cool librarian, and I read a book called How to Bake a Monster Cake. And it was my wife and my son baking a cake for a monster, and he got to pick the ingredients. And they were uh, a dog fart from my dog Zoe, <laughs> a booger, a bug, and a worm to bake booger batter bliss. Right. And so I read this rhyming story to the teachers and the librarian and the kid. And afterward, uh, kids, and afterwards she said, it sounds like a rap song. Would you rap it? The kids would love that. They'd love to hear a rap song. And I thought, you know, here I am, this huge proponent of 90s hip-hop. Yeah, yeah. And, yeah, I, I, I never really thought about it. I'd love to rap these. So I rapped the song, and I, I went home that night, and it was, my wife is not always the chef, I'm the chef. And so this night, she had made tacos. And I, the kids had laughed about this dog fart. So I went into my writing nook. I have this little writing nook. And I went in and I wrote, when it's taco night and there's refried beans, I know I will <laughs> fart all night in my dreams. <laughs> and I read it back to her. She's like, that's funny. And so I wrote a fart book and I canceled it as the last book I was going to publish was about aunties, my sister and aunt. And I decided to make a fart yeah. book. And then I, I started reading in classrooms, but I would wrap it. Right. And everybody, all the kids loved it. They would laugh and it was silly and it was fun. And so now I said, okay, I need to find um, a beat for this. I needed to find a beat. So my friend, Chris, um, he said there's this really cool up and coming producer that he's working with by the name of Two Saints, Mitch DeSantos, and you should ask him for a beat. So I went to him and I, he must've thought this was the zaniest call he's ever had as a hip hop producer, but yeah, I said, yeah. I'm making a hip hop song about farts <laughs> for kids. For kids. Yeah. Could you help send me a few beats? And he said, yeah, that sounds kind of cool. So we made this awesome beat and I went to his studio and I recorded it. 
And then I convinced the guys in, in Brazil, my team, uh, Gulliver and his wife, to help me animate the, the book. And we set it to the music. And with it just hit 100,000 views on YouTube, the silly wow. fart video. <laughs> and I thought, okay, this could be something. You've got this song, and you think, and this is cool. This, this is, is cool. cool, and people are the kids seem to like it. Yeah. And what happens next? Where where does Peter Jackson come in? The Canadian rapper. Oh yeah, Peter so Jackson so I in? I did go. I went to so Peter Jackson. I know through uh, my a friend at at school, elementary school. I yeah. knew his sister. Yeah, it's not the it's not uh, P- Lord of the Rings. Not Peter Lord Jackson, of the Rings. Yeah. Peter Jackson. This is a, a very cool hip hop artist uh, from Toronto. Um, from Ajax originally. And so I had gone to him and I wanted to do the farts rap with him. And he said, this is a cool idea, but it wasn't for him. And I understand that. I understand because it was, you know, the silly song and I don't think I was there yet. So then um, I kind of went away from that and I was working with with Two Saints, uh, Mitch, and we decided to make another gross song about boogers and stuff. <laughs> so then my wife said, you can't make only gross rap songs, you know, because the girls are going to yeah. like it too. And, and what if the parents don't like the gross stuff? So she said, well, we always sing this song to the kids when we're driving home from, from up north. It's car, 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 driving in my car. <laughs> car, 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 driving in my car. Gonna go fast and we're gonna go far. Car, car, <laughs> car, driving in my car. So I went to Mitch and, and Kate, my wife, does the backup vocals yes. by the way on this one and so we went to Mitch and we said hey, I want a car song so he helped compose this amazing car song so we turned that into a book and then I said okay I need another one on dinosaurs <laughs> so we made it he made another really cool like prehistoric beat right. and I made one I'm a, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a dinosaur <laughs> and then I was going around and and I didn't I didn't have these books yet but I had the beats and I had the performances so I created little dances and I started going around to the daycares so there were only four songs at this point. And I, I contacted Peter Jackson again and I said, hey, I'm going to go ahead with the album. I, I, I want to do this. And, and it turns out I was reading at his son and his daughter's daycare. Oh, fun. Yeah. So his son and his daughter were at a daycare that I had been doing these performances at. And he said, you know, you've been reading for the kids and they really like the stories. And, um, you know, he, he thought it would be really cool to get involved and, and kind of build something for his kids yeah. too. Um, which I thought was awesome. So um, we, uh, he helped me on one of my coolest songs, I think. It's called Rad to Be a Dad. Um, and uh, soon to be, it's Bomb to Be a Mom, which is yeah. going to come out on the next <laughs> one, which my friend Aaron would say. Um, so we, we've, we now went from the four songs and we, we collected a little bit more. I, I wanted one for my daughter, so I did a, my version of the electric slide for kids called Rainbows and Unicorns. <laughs> it's an instructional dance song about rainbows and unicorns. And we did a superhero song, which I desperately needed. I wanted a villain and a, because right. I like the the rap songs that are stories too. Um, there's a prolific rap artist called Slick Rick and he always told mm-hmm. these really cool stories. So I wanted to do that too. And so we now had a collection of songs and um, so we, we decided to put them out. So with the help of Peter and, and my producer Mitch, we collected them, put them on an album and the I initially Peter helped me put them onto CDs because all of the daycares that I was going to had the exact same old right. CD player with the top off, you know, the one that <laughs> right, we broke totally. off yeah, with the yeah, kids yeah, and yeah, there was yeah. a button that wasn't working. <laughs> uh, and so anytime I'd say, oh, it's on iTunes or it's on Spotify, they'd say, is it 
do you have a CD? Yeah, there's no way we can play that. Yeah, that the way, kids yeah. want a CD. So I think I burnt out a few of these CDs. And I will tell you, fast forward a little bit. I don't want to get too far ahead of myself. But one of the strangest feelings in the world is walking into a daycare and hearing yourself singing four different songs in four different rooms. Absolutely. That's yeah, a very yeah, yeah. strange feeling. So we, we put out the album and now I said, okay, and we, I wanted to do something different. So we wanted to make books cool again. So uh, that's my whole focus is I wanted it always to come back to the book. So Because the books we, we should mention, I don't know if I made this clear earlier, they're, they're books that you hold in your hand. This isn't, uh, these aren't Kindles, these aren't electronic books. These are colorful, beautifully produced books that you hold in your hand and read to your kids. And I, we made them exceptionally sturdy because my son would try and bite the corner right. so that you can't break these books. <laughs> and I think the thing that makes them unique is, you know, Robert Munch didn't have to compete with YouTube. And there's this huge digital pull for kids. And, and I find sto- parents are great. They often read to kids in, 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 uh, before bed, and that's a great way to settle them down. Um, but teachers, and especially in the daycares, they wanted these automated books um, in the way that they are busy. And if they're, you know, got 30 kids just taking off their snow pants, it's nice to put on what you and I said, like yep. the Peter Wolf or the, um, you know, story on the record player. Yep. So I wanted the songs to all coincide with the book. So as you're listening to the song on YouTube or Spotify, the parents, the grandparents, the teacher can flick through. And now there's an interactive story that you're holding. Books are cool again. It's a rap song, but it's, it, it goes along with it. So now we had these, these songs and I started going around to elementary schools because at first it was just daycares. Mm-hmm. So now I went into elementary schools and I, the first one, I don't think I organized it properly. There was 150 kids in the gym. Wow. And from kindergarten to grade three. And I just dove in. And I started pulling those things from that made the story successful in front of the audience. The onomatopoeias, the movements, the throwing of the books, the dancing. And at the end of it, you've it was an incredible experience to hypnotize in a positive way these 150 students in this gymnasium to to have a dance party. So that's what I started doing is I would read one or two stories and I would tell them how, you know, Lachlan went to the hospital and how this started and how I thought I was going to be a writer, but that every amazing story has an awesome twist to it. And that my twist came in the form of somebody telling me that these should be songs. And those now those six or seven kids that were fidgeting for the stories or any kids with special needs that weren't necessarily a part of it, now they were all a part of it. And they were dancing and now everyone kind of got up. And so I had a Queens student help me choreograph some dance routines. <laughs> she was working with me at an event and she told me she was a dancer off to university. So I said, I'll pay you, you know, 30 bucks yeah. to choreograph a, a dance song for me. So we made a dinosaur dance and a car dance and a superhero dance and some rad dad dance moves. And so, yeah, and then I went around doing this and um, the, the, the big thing I noticed was the the uptake from the kids and so i now i needed to get in front of the parents so that's kind of where this takes another little turn what's the parents twist the parents twist is i think that um it's awesome to see kids dancing and embracing books and and being interactive with mm-hmm. them and and so i needed to get that in front of parents so with the help of peter and mitch and and, and some others in my camp we put on our first live concert 
and uh, at the Music Hall Concert Theater in Oshawa, and it was a big hit. And it was neat to bring that, what I had been doing in schools, to now parents to see because there was a component where I'm trying to inspire them to write their own stories. Mm-hmm. I'm telling them the story about Miss Hogan and your teacher, Mrs. Yeah, Clements, yeah. was it? Yeah, Mrs. Clements, yeah. yeah. And and letting them know that if I can inspire them that there could be the next J.K. Rowling who writes Harry Potter in this crowd or the next Stan Lee who creates the next Spider-Man, maybe I can get these kids to have that same feeling and want to create something because that's an amazing outlet. I think that every kid should have that sense of imagination yeah. and, and purpose. So, you know, what's next with these books is we're going to keep doing the stage shows because I love that. That's that's an amazing feeling. We're, we're starting to produce a YouTube show, um, you know, so check out the YouTube channel. And I just want to keep making stories and I want to keep making kids laugh and smile and dance and, and think books are cool again. I love that you reinvented yourself after years of working in corporate Canada in, in advertising, which is very creative. It's a creative field. Do you think that that background uh, gave you an upper hand to a certain extent? Because this is a crowded field. I mean, there's a lot of children's books out there. There's a lot of, of uh, music for kids, I'm guessing, uh, come out every year. To distinguish yourself, you have to really know what you're doing. And you found a niche. Did your advertising background help you with that? I think so. And I think also the fact that it, we, we had started the business, the advertising business, and I knew how what pitfalls um, small businesses go through and right. how there's a hundred no's before you hear a yes. And I also knew that when you're finding a product, it needs to be like water in the sense that yeah, 20, 15 years ago, these books would have been super cool, Richard. Right, yeah. But there was something missing. And so I think that, yes, the, the, the background in business and advertising helped me realize maybe the books, as much as I want them to be by themselves a success, they're not going to be. And if people are going to hear my swan song, or not my swan song, my, yeah, yeah. me shouting from the rooftops, <laughs> I need to do something a little different. And that uh, the advertising certainly helped that, those creative juices and the fuel saying, okay, let's, let's try a new avenue. What's your favorite of all the books if you had to choose one? Myrtle's Big Race. Myrtle's Big Race. So this is the story. My (laughs) daughter came home to me and said that she was sad every time she lost a race. She would challenge people to races in the schoolyard. And I said, you don't have to be sad. It's okay to practice and then, Mm -hmm. you know, get better. And then she came home after this and said she needed special boots to make her run fast. (laughs) So this is the story of a turtle who wants to win the big race. (laughs) And so she's a genius from reading lots of books and she builds rocket boots. On behalf of Seymour Sloth and Tony Tortoise, she's going to win the big race. But on the day of the race, she feels nervous and like a cheater. She doesn't want to use her genius to win. So she looks into the crowd one last time and sees her friend Seymour Sloth holding a big red sign that says, Don't worry, Myrtle, you'll do just fine. So Myrtle did something that day, something she'll never regret. She took off her hidden rocket boots and decided to come correct. When the starter's pistol went off with a bang, the animal started to run. But deep in her heart, Myrtle felt like she had already won. Even though Myrtle came in last that day, she still finished the race. When she crossed the finish line, she had a huge smile on her face. She had done her best. She was honest, all while having fun. And even though she wasn't that fast, Richard, Myrtle still loved to run. That's awesome. Wow. And it, you can really get a sense of the performance that goes into it and why it would uh, uh, captivate kids. And there's a message in there. I want it, there to be a message. Yeah, there has to be a message, I guess. You know, in, in each of these stories, you learn something from them, a little 
life uh, advice, but it's wrapped up in a package that makes it seem like you're not being taught something, perhaps. Wrapped up in a package, no pun intended. It's wrapped up, yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Uh, Alexis, thank you so much. Thank you, Richard. Uh, in, in conversation, I've been speaking with Alexis Alexander. So there are 14 books. Are there more coming? I guess there's... I, I hope so. Yeah. One day. One day. So 14 Friendly Fables books uh, out there right now, uh, ranging from uh, Myrtle's Race to books about uh, going to the hospital. There's a, a, a wide variety. They're for uh, boys and for girls. And then check out uh, the album Rap Along Volume 1. Went to number one on the iTunes Kids Music Charts, and it vetoed everybody like Sharon and Prom and Rafi and all those kind of people. Uh, Alexis, congratulations on all of this. Uh, thank you so much. My thanks to Chris Kant on the board, but most of all, as always, my thanks to you for listening. We'll talk again soon.